Uh, I want to just speak to you, if I may, for the next 25 minutes or so. Um, the emphasis on the or so. And um, I want to speak into the subject of Father's Day, but I want to continue where we as a church have been going together over the last few weeks. I know that if you're a, a a family member that's here with those who've given thanks for their babies this morning. I know how much it means to the families that you're here. So thank you so much for coming. And hopefully in the next 25 minutes, as I say, I can um, speak to you and offer you as well some advice or just some words of encouragement from the Bible that would hopefully encourage you and help you in the way that you um, are able to play your part in influencing the young lives that we've given thanks for this morning. Um, as a church, over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes, what it looks like when God becomes king or, or sets up authority in someone's life. In other words, what it looks like when someone becomes a Christian. If you were around on the shores of Galilee or in the dusty streets of Capernaum in Israel around the time of Jesus, and if you overheard him speaking, you would have heard him speak about a, re a recurring or a repeating theme. Jesus' main message to the world was that the kingdom of God has come. The kingdom of heaven is here. And a lot of us hear that and go, that's lovely. What does that mean? What Jesus was saying is God is now in charge again. Jesus believed that in, him, in his coming and in his acting and speaking and dying eventually on the cross and being raised to new life on Easter Sunday, Jesus believed that in doing that, he was establishing the rule of God on planet Earth. And the rule and reign of God on earth surprised, surprises us, but surprised people in his day because people were looking for a physical empire with a physical king on a throne ruling the nations. But instead, what Jesus came to say was that, no, the kingdom of God comes whenever individuals respond to and receive God's authority, God's teachings, God's reign in their lives. And when the authority and reign and kingship of God comes, it looks like several things. Things that we've called the signs, if we move this through, the signs of, here we go, revisit these babies. Oh, there we go, the nice one, it's my one. And there, I know, there we go, signs. Things that look, oh, um, back, come on, I've clicked too far. This is very professional, I appreciate that. There we go, the signs of the kingdom, what it looks like when God becomes king. And we've seen that it looks like joy. When people become a Christian, or they receive the authority of God in their life. It looks like joy. They receive joy, they give joy away. It looks like peace, we've seen. You receive peace and you're able to give peace away. Two weeks ago, we introduced the subject of freedom or deliverance or rescue. We said that when people become followers of Jesus, they receive and experience rescue or freedom. Freedom from the dark forces in this world that look to destroy human beings. Freedom from desires and habits that are destructive. Freedom from the world's powers and grip on us. When you become a Christian, Jesus comes to set you free. But then having set you free, he then enables us to be those who bring freedom and bring deliverance to the people around us. Today, I want to speak into how it is that you can be the kind of person that brings freedom, that brings help, that brings rescue to the people around you. 
Whether that's your kids trying to raise their kids or your friends trying to raise their kids, whether that's your husband or wife or your co-workers or your friends, when the kingdom of God, when God's reign takes hold of your life, he enables you to be the kind of person that brings liberty and freedom to the people around you. Christians in the Bible are called ambassadors of God, which is quite a a high calling. In other words, a Christian is meant to be a representative of God and of the good news of Jesus to the world. Sometimes Christians get it right. More often than not, as the media and the newspapers would attest to, Christians don't live up to that calling. But it's our calling nonetheless. Dads, likewise, have a calling on them. And being a dad is a, is a calling that comes with many responsibilities. One journalist I read this week Um, talked about the responsibilities on a dad. He said, being a dad comes with myriad responsibilities. It's not just guarding the thermostat, mowing the grass, and putting our dirty laundry in the general vicinity of the laundry basket. It's also attempting to do the projects that we said yes to when we weren't really paying attention, or because we watched some YouTube video and thought, I can do that. Those are the kinds of responsibilities on us as fathers, and it's hard. And on a day like today, we need words of encouragement to give us strength to complete those YouTube tasks that we set ourselves. But I also want to suggest that the Bible says that a dad, uh, or a male role model, a man in society, has a calling on them to be a representative of God and to be the kind of person that brings help and rescue and freedom to those around them, which is a high calling. Francis Bock was seven years old when, growing up in South Sudan, he went on his first trip to the local market to sell produce on behalf of his family. While at the market, the market was attacked by raiding Islamic militiamen who cut down many of the people in the streets and captured Francis Bock and took him off as a slave where he lived for 10 years. Age seven... Francis couldn't count to 10, and he knew next to nothing about the world outside his family unit. And yet he was snatched from that environment and taken to be a slave. A slave of another family where he lived in the most inhumane conditions. They treated him like one of their animals. He slept with the animals. Um, They starved him of any human or physical contact at all. Uh, In fact, they threatened him with decapitating his limbs if ever he spoke out of turn or laughed. He lived a miserable existence for 10 years. And yet, the impression and the mark that his parents had made on him in those first seven years stayed with him. He writes about his time in captivity. And he says that he can remember the things that his dad told him growing up. His dad told him, you are moikaku, which is a word that means 12 men. His dad used to say, you are 12 men. He writes and says, God is always with you, my parents had told me. Even when you are alone, God is with you. When you ask God for what you need, he will help you. Alone at night, sitting in my hut, I remembered that. My father once said to me, even when you are one, you are two because God is with you. When you are two, you are three. He says, I really was moikaku. I began in captivity. I began to believe my father had been right. I was 12 men. 
It was the memory of his father's words to him that gave him the encouragement and courage that he needed to attempt and later succeed in escaping his his captors. He is now age 34. He lives in the United States and he works on behalf of an abolitionist movement. Such is the impression that dads can make on the world and on the lives of those that they're raising. It's not just rescuing the family from spiders. It's also giving them courage to flee their captors in slavery. Such is the influence that men and that dads can have on the world. The author Doug Wilson writing about men, he says, In their families, men are much more important, crucial and influential than they believe themselves to be. It is the easiest thing in the world for a man to grow up, get married, have kids and still think of himself the way he did when he was a boy. He's not a man, he's a boy who shaves. Believing that he is just one more person living in his household, just one more of the roommates. Since it's the easiest thing in the world for men to grow up and just think that they are basically boys who shave just a little bit bigger than they were before. Perhaps because of the male stereotypes in our, in our commercials or our cartoons or the way that society's come to stereotype men and portray the stupid male figure in our TV shows. I don't know. For a whole number of reasons, it's easy for men to think that. However, men are not just one more roommate in the household. 30 years ago, the psychologists Moore and Gillette commented, they said, we face a crisis in our society and masculine identity of vast proportions. Increasingly, sociologists, anthropologists and psychologists are discovering the devastating dimensions of this phenomenon, which affects each of us personally as much as it affects our society as a whole. Their point was that when men or dads, male role models, neglect or abdicate their God-given responsibility or calling, it affects us personally, which we can attest to, as much as it affects society as a whole. That was 30 years ago. How about now? Well, the crisis that the Western world is in, as far as fatherlessness goes, and many of the statistics that a number of us will have heard about fatherlessness and fathers who leave families tell us again about the significance of families. If you come from a home that, where there isn't a dad present or a male role model present, you are 70% more likely to do drugs, 76% more likely to commit crime, and 85% of all people in our prisons come from um, households where there's no man or father at home. In the UK, things are especially bad. We have the highest rate of family breakdown in Western Europe. In fact, more boys aged 15 in this country have smartphones in their pockets than have fathers in their homes. And in 2007, the global charity UNICEF produced a report in which they said, father absence is the greatest social issue of our time. Which means if you've been raised in a home without a dad, you know personally the impact that's had on you. But if you've been raised in that home and you make it through without going to prison, you have accomplished an incredible task. If you're raising children in a home where there's no dad figure at home, your success is momentous. You know how difficult it is. And actually, we need to recognize how significant it is that you have achieved that and are raising those children so well. Happy Father's Day. So the question then hangs, 
Given that that's the state of the Western world and given the significance that men can have in their families, it should be an encouragement to men. It could be, should be a challenge to us as dads. But also the question hangs, so how do we fix this? How do we fix this? The reality is, of course, that we can't fix this, the social problem. Neither is it our responsibility or duty to fix this in a society. However, as men, we can fix it in terms of those that we have influence over and the households that we're in. God has given you as a dad, as a man, as a male role model to people, he's given you a position of influence in people's lives that is wonderful and that reaps benefits to people when you take it seriously. I want to look at a couple of Bible verses, however, and look at this question, how we can fix this and speak to men, but also to Christians, those of us here this morning more generally, as we look at how then we can be the kinds of people that bring, as I mentioned at the start, freedom, deliverance and rescue to those in our circles of influence. I'm going to read from the letter called 2 Corinthians, which is written by one of the earliest church leaders to a church in Corinth, which is a city in ancient Greece. So this guy who started the church writes a letter of encouragement to the church. And he, in these words, is arguing for his position in their lives uh, and why, they, why it is they should listen to him, in other words. He's saying, you can trust me because of X, Y, and Z. And in the verses before where we're going to read, he's been explaining the Christian message to them. And then in these verses, he says, listen, you know I'm, I'm an authentic messenger of this message because, and then this is what he says um, up here. 2 Corinthians 6, verses 4 to 7. He says, As servants of God, we commend ourselves to you in every way, by great endurance in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, by truthful speech, with, the weapon, with truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left. So it's a long list. It's a list of lots and lots of different words. It's maybe first time listening to you go, okay, just a long list of names. What's Paul saying here? He's saying, you, we are the kinds of people, the kinds of Christians that you can listen to and trust because of the way that we behave. As ambassadors of God, those who've come to bring freedom and deliverance, this is how we behave, he says. And he gives us this long list of how he behaves. And among them, he says, in great endurance, and then lists things in threes. He says, afflictions and hardships and calamities. In other words, there's trouble from the outside world that we've faced. Uh, beatings, imprisonments and riots, trouble at the hands of other people, hard work, sleepless nights and hunger, trouble just from his labour and from the world that he's in. And then he says, with, with a character that's upright, hunger, integrity, understanding, patience and kindness. In other words, he says, whether reactively in patience or proactively in kindness, we've behaved in the kind of way that means you should be able to listen to us and trust us. And then... He says, in the Holy Spirit. And he gives us three more things. And it's these three things that we're going to look at in the next nine minutes together. We're going to look at these three things. In the Holy Spirit, he listed them for us. With genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. And it's these three things that I want to argue 
for those of us who are Christians or those of us who aren't Christians but maybe want to be the kinds of people that can help bring freedom and help and rescue to others, it's these three things that we can take on board and apply to become those kinds of people. The first thing that he says is in genuine love. And actually, the word that he uses here, a little bit of geek fact for you, the word that he uses here for you in the original language was literally the word unhypocritical. Genuine means unhypocritical. That's a wonderful word. Unhypocritical love. That's how you can be the kind of person that brings deliverance and freedom to people. A hypocrite in his society was a word that, was, uh, that meant mask. And it was used of actors. Because in their society, actors were those who literally wore masks to pretend to be different characters. A hypocrite is someone who wears a mask. Therefore, hypocrisy is more about pretending than it is about imperfection. Because in one sense, all of us are hypocrites. In that all of us say we should or you should do something and then don't live up to our own standards. I mean, hypocrisy is a charge that gets leveled at Christians all the time. We're, we're aware of that. We're okay with that. And to be honest, we often justify that label. Um, but hypocrisy is a charge that's often leveled at Christians. But it's something that doesn't just stick to Christians, but to all of us. Because all of us say we'll do something when, when we don't. And that happens in the, the kind of the simple and the everyday, the superficial. Um, I will go on this diet and then I don't. Or you should be like me and do this health regime and then we don't do our own health regime. In fact, if you live in Seaford, you are a hypocrite simply. So live in Seaford and drive a car. You are a hypocrite if you've ever been to Eastbourne. Because to get to Eastbourne, you have to go over the Cookmere Bridge, the narrow bridge with the one-way system. Do you remember the right-of-way system? And when you leave Seaford, it's your right-of-way. So you, you, know, you get angry at the drivers who try to cut through in front of you. Like, this is my right-of-way. Get out of here. Oh, these people, bad drivers don't know what they're doing. Which is true. I would never do that until I'm coming back from Eastbourne to Seaford. And then it's their right of way, but I can just slip through, can't I? I can just quickly get in before they do, and it makes me a hypocrite. We're hypocrites in the superficial, but also in the more serious. Um, we live in a society where the only indisputable ethic is that of tolerance, to tolerate people, to display tolerance to those around you which is good. It's a good ethic. It comes from Christianity. You, we, the society borrowed it from us, which is nice. However, even those who say you must tolerate still in their own hearts are hypocrites because if they're honest with themselves, if we're honest with ourselves, we don't and we find it very hard to tolerate difference in other people. Maybe not difference in nationality or um, economic status, but difference in moral value systems or lifestyles, we find it very hard to tolerate. I find this a lot as a Christian anyway. People are all for tolerance until I share an opinion that they disagree with, in which case we'll, we'll push tolerance aside and just put you straight. All of that being said, we're all those who have standards that we don't live up to. But hypocrisy isn't so much about perfection as it is about pretending. Fake is the opposite of genuine. Uh, pretending is the opposite of hypocrisy. And so how do we be those who are unhypocritical in the way that we live? As dads or as male role models, as Christians in the world, how do we be unhypocritical? Well, I want to suggest it looks like kicking double standards into the touch. 
It looks like being honest about your own flaws and your own shortcomings and owning up to those things. It looks like asking for forgiveness when you need forgiving. It looks like communicating clearly, disciplining consistently, and then asking for forgiveness when you don't. See, masculinity isn't talking out the side of your mouth, swaggering, wearing a wife beater, showing on some bravado and a tough front. Masculinity isn't suppressing emotions. Masculinity, as biblically defined, is taking sacrificial responsibility for things. Masculinity, as defined in the Bible, authority as defined in the Bible, knows how to bleed for others in service of them. Someone who's pursuing unhypocritical living is someone who's honest and sacrificial and loving in the way that they behave towards others. So Paul says it looks like unhypocritical living, but then he also says it looks like truthful speech. But again, the phrase that he uses here actually means speaking the word of truth. He's referring to the gospel message that he's been talking about in his letter so far. Explaining to people the truth about God, the truth about this world, about its position, our position in this world, its brokenness, our need of rescue. Speaking the word of truth looks like speaking honestly to people about the situation rather than covering things up. And it looks like telling people that God has come to help us in our messes and in our brokenness. And as far as this goes, the Christian message differs from many of the the messages in the world around us. You see, all of the major world religions or isms, apart from Christian belief, emphasize this word, emphasizes the word do. You need to do something in order to get right with God. In order to live a healthy and pure lifestyle, you need to do. You need to pray a certain number of times a day. You need to go on a certain number of pilgrimages. You need to do some retail therapy. You need to spend this. You need to stop that. You need to do, 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 do. The salvation, rescue, deliverance outside of Christian thought looks like doing, getting things, you know, doing things, behaving properly. The word of truth, however, that Paul's talking about in this letter is about the Christian message, which emphasizes a different word. It is the word done. That The Christian message isn't about what we need to do. It's about what Jesus has done on our behalf. How he has taken on himself the penalty for our shortcomings, our hypocrisy, Our desires that are out of kilter with God's best for us. It's about looking to what Jesus has done rather than constantly stressing about what we need to do. And so the Christian message involves telling people what Jesus has done for them. Speaking the word of truth because it's the news of the gospel that brings freedom, not the advice of a lot of psychology or of Christians, to be honest. And in that regard, the Christian message isn't good advice on how to live. It includes that, but at its root, the Christian message is good news about what Jesus has done for us. And to be the kind of person that brings freedom to others means speaking the word of truth to them regularly. And to be someone who speaks the word of truth and to encourage people with the good news of Jesus 
doesn't look like shouting at people as they walk past you and yelling the truth. You're a sinner, God loves you. Oh, they've gone. That's not what it looks like. The word of truth looks like walking with someone across a lifetime, helping them to see how the good news, the word of truth, has implications for their life. It looks like entering someone's world, being unhypocritical in the way that we behave, admitting our own shortcomings and telling them, this is how I've found freedom. It's through the one who loves me, even though I'm a hypocrite. It's the one who's forgiven me, even though I've done plenty of things wrong. If you have to choose as a dad between quantity time and quality time, always go quantity time. Pour yourself in to your kids. Pour ourselves into this society, the community that we live in, and our friends. Spend quantity time with the world, with our friends, speaking over time the word of truth to them. So that's what Paul says. He says, unhypocritical love, the word of truth, and lastly, he says, the power of God. Everything that goes on in the Christian life, everything that he's been talking about with all of the hardships, the imprisonments that he's experienced, he says, all of that I can do because of the power of God in me. Jesus, as a man, when he ministered on the earth, was someone who was known for speaking the truth to people. He didn't bend his message in order to be liked. He was a man of truth and not hypocrisy. He was honest and upfront with people. He was full of grace in the way that he treated people, full of kindness, but he was also full of truth. And Jesus, in the way that he behaved, he behaved entirely dependent upon the power of God to help him. Jesus brought deliverance to people by healing them, by setting them free from oppression to dark forces, demonic influences in this world. He brought deliverance to people by speaking the word of truth to them. He brought deliverance and freedom to the world by relying on the power of God. And it was the power of God that eventually would be the same power, not just that brought him to life or sustained him through life, but that brought him to life from the dead on the first Easter Sunday. And it's that news that Christians have been celebrating ever since then. Now, as a Christian living in Seaford in the 21st century, I've heard many stories from Christians about how God has helped them through their lives, how Christians have found freedom and joy and peace in God. And it's always reliant on this, the power of God in them, helping them, enabling them, healing them, setting them free. And that same power is here today, not because we're supermen or superwomen, but because the word of truth has come and has set us free. And the Holy Spirit's been given to the church to now demonstrate and live out the power of God. So we bring freedom to those around us. We help people. We bring deliverance and salvation to people by behaving in an unhypocritical way, by speaking the word of truth and by being reliant on the power of God. But ultimately, as dads, our hopefulness comes from the fact that although we are imperfect, God himself is a perfect father. And that takes all the pressure in the world of my shoulders, of our shoulders, to be perfect dads or super dads. It gives us the freedom to fail because after all, I'm not looking to be God to my kids. I'm looking to point them to God. Men in the church... We need you to be role models for us. We need you to help teach us, to train us. But we don't need you to be perfect. We need you instead to point to the one who is perfect. We need you, the church, 
Christians, in the way that you behave among family members or at work, the way that you're going to be the kinds of people who bring freedom isn't by being perfect. It's by being broken, but pointing to the one who fixes us all, who loves us anyway, and who's here to help us. I'd love to close in prayer and then invite the band to join us where we'll stand together and sing a song of response about this God who sets us free and also empowers us and enables us to set others free. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're a dad who sets us free. You're a dad who sent his son to love us, to forgive us, and to bring us back to God. Please would you help us to be the kinds of people who can bring freedom and joy to the world around us. Help us to be the kinds of dads who can bring freedom to our kids and help us to do it, God, unhypocritically. Help us to do it by speaking truth. Help us to do it by being dependent on your power. I pray, Father, for the dads in the church. God, that you'd encourage them where they might be feeling discouraged, that you would remind them of the high calling on them. Our society may say that men and dads are um, stereotypically just clumsy and lazy, but you speak life to dads and you call us out of some of that laziness. Maybe some of us live up to those stereotypes and we feel dumb as dads, like we don't know what we're doing. Thank you that you're the God who reaches in to people who don't know what they're doing and you give us wisdom and you give us courage to keep going. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to be the kinds of people that make a positive impact on the world around us. Lord, we want to leave this world or the people that we love in this world better off because we've been there than they would have been had we had not have been. We ask for your help in Jesus' name. Amen.